Okay. Hey, buddy. It's me. How's your break going? I guess it's not really a break for you. I got Procreate. I've been doodling, listening to Goblin a lot. Bought some black hair dye, so... You know, lots of new Star Wars stuff announced. That's cool. Do you want to talk about hotel stuff? Let's talk about hotel stuff. First up, it was our five-year anniversary on April 13th. A fact I always forget, and a fact that for the past two years, superfan Ryoshi Sasaki has always made sure to remind all of us of. Uh, last year, they put together Where the Light Gathers, a little hotel tribute video with a bunch of fan artists from the community. This year, they've outdone themselves again by putting together a 45-minute Series of interviews with the staff and the new crew, and even me and Lauren got in there for a little bit. Uh, it was really beautiful. It was really emotional. It was very difficult for me to watch because I do not like taking compliments. Don't compliment me. I don't know what to do with it. Except to say thank you to Ryoshi for always being so passionate and dedicated and willing to share your time and your talents uh, in appreciation of our show. And we appreciate you too very, very much. Thank you for the video. Thank you for the video last year. If you haven't seen it yet, uh, check out our Twitter. I've been retweeting it. Um, bookmark it. It's, 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 a, it's a long watch, but it's very worth it. And uh, the zine physical copy sold out. I did not think we would sell out this quickly, but we did. So those are no longer available. If you already ordered one of the pre-orders, I will be shipping those out to you. Uh, this month, I just want to make sure that we get them all shipped safely and that they all arrive because I don't really have any extras. And if someone doesn't get something, we got to wait for the reprinting to replace it. So give me a minute. On the shipping... Uh, but, oi, we still have the digital copies available. $10 up on our store right now gets you 53 full-color pages. Fanfic art from community artists. Uh, those are in no danger of selling out, of course. Uh, and speaking of community artists, the artist who did the postcard for today's classic hotel bonus episode, The Ranch... Happens to be none other than Parasitic Saint. I didn't even plan this. It just works out. Sometimes, hey, sometimes it just works out. And this time it just worked out. Because, of course, as you know, this week we launched Hotel in Espanol. Uh, which debuted at, like, number three in fiction for Mexico and... 25 for sci-fi. I don't remember, but it was really good. Memo says we're doing really good, and he seems to know his stuff. Uh, it's, it sounds amazing. I love the actors. They all do a wonderful job. Make sure to check out our Patreon for the new Hotel in Espanol tier for early access to ad-free episodes. First two are already up 
on the Patreon. Plus, you will get digital postcards of all of Parasitic Saints' original pieces that it did for the entire first season. Um, all funds from that tier go to funding more seasons of Hotel in Espanol. But if your budget is not as big as your heart, of course, the best way to support the show is to listen, to subscribe, leave a review if you can. It really helps new shows find an audience. Uh, even if you don't speak Spanish. Season one, there's like seven minute episodes. Just, just leave it on. Speaking of support, a couple other BDFM shows also have Spanish-language versions. Shelby from Scare You to Sleep has been so friendly and welcoming and helpful to us since we've joined the network, and John from Creepy and I have been passing each other like ships in the night since the Theater of Tomorrow days. So I'm going to play trailers for their shows, Creepy en Español, and Dormir o Morir, <laughs> oh heavens, before we all get started, and guess what, Slugger, I am going to go ahead and throw the trailer for Hotel and Espanol at you again, okay? And no fussing, we support each other in this house, okay? Uh, or just skip ahead, you know the drill. Uh, I would also like to remind you at this point that on Patreon you can get for $5 a month early access to ad-free episodes you wouldn't have to be listening to this right now. Okay, remember, no new bonus episodes or new crew episodes on Patreon this month, but we are picking those back up next month. And Season 6 begins in earnest... Later. Later. Oh, bye, Azine! ¿Las historias de terror te ayudan a dormir? Escuchas una respiración que no es la tuya. Se escucha cada vez más cerca. Dormir o morir es un podcast único que te guiará para tener los sueños más horribles. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro. Aquí encontrarás angustiantes historias de horror o pesadillas guiadas. ¿Sí? Así como lo oyes, un paso a paso para llegar a los lugares más oscuros de tu mente. Cierra los ojos y empecemos. Respira profundamente. Suscríbete en cualquier plataforma y elige si esta noche quieres dormir o morir. Creepy. El exitoso podcast de Creepypastas en inglés ahora está disponible en español. La fecha de mi muerte es hoy. Las historias más inquietantes y siniestras que han aterrorizado al mundo ahora en tu idioma. Al final de la calle estaba la silueta de un hombre. Y lo descubriré mirándome fijamente. Búscanos como Creepy en español y suscríbete en tu plataforma de podcast favorita. Los rostros sonrientes me desgarraron la mente. Todas las semanas un nuevo episodio. Historias de fantasmas. No tenemos nada de eso por aquí. Disponible gratis en Apple, Spotify o donde quiera que escuches podcasts. Por fin soy libre. Búscanos como Creepy en Español y suscríbete en tu plataforma de podcast favorita. No está embrujado. No es el infierno. Es el hotel. 
puede parecer de cinco estrellas o a veces motel de mala muerte. Cada noche el hotel cambia de forma abriendo sus puertas a todo aquel que lo necesite. Víctimas, víctimas y victimarios. El hotel no rechaza a nadie. La única regla es que nadie, 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 nadie puede irse. Ni siquiera el personal. ¿Te atreves a entrar? Hotel en Español. Disponible gratis en Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music y donde sea que escuches podcasts. There is no private office door tonight. Instead, there is a long, ornately framed, lavishly indulgent painting of a ranch. A dry, drab collection of small wooden buildings in the distance, protected from the harsh rays of the desert sun by benevolent storm clouds rolling in over a range of gray mountains. I am dimly aware that someone behind me wants my attention. In front of the ranch is a wooden corral. Two or three indistinct figures lean on the far side of the fence. One leans over casually, booted foot resting up on the rough rail. Another stands on the fence, arms held high in excitement. They're watching a figure in a long tan coat, face obscured by dynamic action, as she wrangles with a horse twisted into the shape of fucking brutality. The animal looks like violence made flesh and they're trying to tame her. The guests have arrived. I should turn my attention to the conversation now going on behind me. But... The horse's eyes bulge thickly, and in its mouth hangs open in what must be an ear-splitting scream of protest. Massive teeth reach out from the end of its long skull, dripping flecks of foam onto the rope around its neck. Strips of metal have been nailed into the hard, bony feet that are kicking up a yellow, dusty fog. It's an oddly horrifying creature, in a very inhospitable scene. Behind me, I can hear someone saying, ma'am, 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 but... It seems much farther away than those storm clouds do. Maybe that's why the horse is so angry. Maybe it's scared of what hides in the thunder. Maybe it just doesn't like being fenced in. She rears up again, trying to jerk me off my feet and very nearly succeeding. The two ranch hands laugh from the sidelines. I squint at them. The sun at their backs makes it impossible to see their faces. I throw a rude gesture their way, and they laugh again. The corner of my mouth curls up, briefly. I jerk my hat down lower over my eyes and focus on my work. I pull on the rope I have around violence and dig in my heels. But all that gets either of us is more pissed off at each other. I let go of the rope and she bolts, kicking wide circles around the edge of the corral. 
I swear, and throw my gloves on the ground, watching her run out her angry energy. She shakes her mane and bobs her head until the rope slithers loose and joins my gloves in the dirt. She sighs and trots around me in erratic circles, keeping her distance but free now of her agitation. We should all be so lucky. I shake my head and pick up my gloves, slapping them on my thigh to knock the dirt away. The earthy smell the cloud produces almost overwhelms me. I rub my fingers together, feeling the fine dust crumble softly there. A sudden breeze carries in the sharp, slightly damp scent of grass and rain. I inhale deeply and let it out with a sigh of my own. I watch the wind and sunlight embrace her for a moment, but there's a chill in the air that bites just enough to bring me back to my senses. I know what a cold wind heralds, and I need to get violence back inside before the storm gets here. I put my gloves back on, but take off my duster, rolling up my sleeves and gritting my teeth. I approach slowly, hands low, speaking softly. She's uneasy at first, but I tell her she doesn't have to be afraid of the rain. She doesn't have to be angry with me. I won't put the rope back on. I tell her I'll open the barn every night and she can go as far as her strong legs will take her. I tell her she can take me with her, and together, maybe we can outrun the rain. She doesn't understand what I'm saying any more than I do, but I whisper my lies sweetly enough that she lets me put my hand on her face. I see myself in her huge black eye, reflected and warped. We understand each other for a moment. She jumps, startled and knocks me to the ground. Through the sudden daze and hanging dust in the distance by the ranch is a stagecoach, painted in deep purples pulled by three furious horses. Coughing roughly and catching my breath in the dirt, I can just make out a figure, not more than a silhouette against the fading sunlight, gunning down one of my men. The corral gate swings open as his body slumps to the ground. I jump to my feet, ignoring the burning in my lungs and lurch toward them. Another figure grabs my cowboy and puts him into the coach. The driver points her shotgun at me. The violence appears from nowhere and rears up in front of me, whinnying loudly. When her powerful hooves land again, the stagecoach is already kicking up dust as it rattles away noisily. As I watch them go, I catch my breath in a deep, angry rhythm. Violence throws her head back and stamps at the dirt, cutting deep grooves in her own angry rhythm. I grab her mane, and she takes off like a bullet, leaving me to pull myself up or get trampled beneath her. 
I'm barely able to heave her to a stop outside the gate where my man was gunned down. The buzzards have already found him. Death is devoured quickly on my ranch. She stamps and squeals at them. But when the disturbed birds fly off, there's nothing left but his bones lying in the dirt. I dig my heels in, and with barely a grunt, we leave the ranch behind and follow the bandits into the setting sun. Hey, this is Travis with a brief ad break. Thanks for listening. Now back to the hotel. Rolling brown hills dotted with patches of deep green surround us. I can't appreciate the soft tops that sweep out into broad plains, that stretch behind even more hills, rising from even more broad plains in an endless, beautiful vista. My attention is elsewhere. At first, we track them with our eyes, this speeding carriage rocking wildly as it burns across the countryside. We're much lighter, but something unnatural carries them faster than we can manage. Soon we lose sight of them and have to track the coach by the noisy rattle of the buckboard as it echoes off the rocks in the opening valley. The brush gives way to light brown and orange dirt and stone, and the valley walls harden until the noise of the carriage seems to come from everywhere at once. The creeping desert sends dust flying up behind their heavy wheels, until all we have to follow them by are the tracks carved into the ground ahead of us. The sun sets behind a range of gray mountains ahead, and we don't even have the tracks to guide us anymore. But violence never slows. She knows it's there, just ahead of us, somewhere in the cooling dark of the world. I know it too. The same way you know someone is looking at you from behind. The same silence you hear that tells you something's suddenly wrong. The way absence makes your heart grow fonder. That is how we track our missing man. That is how we track the stagecoach in the dark. We are submerged in the deep blue of night and bathed with the peppered light of the starry sky. Above us, a spectacle in whites and reds and purples reveals itself quietly and with alarming immediacy. Each point of light pulses and winks and reaches out to use from unimaginable distances and impossible places. The colors swim and swirl like water behind stars that watch us with pointed interest. The cold creeps in at my arms and works its way into the rest of me quickly. I remember my jacket back at the ranch, lying in the dirt. I jerk my hat low over my eyes, and I don't look up again for the rest of the night. I press violence on, and she lowers her head, spittle streaking in thick gobs from her tired mouth as she runs faster. I suppress a shiver 
and together we try to outrun the rain. All night, I whisper to her. I tell her the stars can't see her, and the cold won't reach her. I tell her she won't get tired, and she can't get thirsty. I tell her we'll find our missing cowboy, and the bandits in the purple stagecoach will pay with their lives for the lives they took. I tell her together, we can do anything. The sun rises slowly after nights like that. There is no bright yellow splash against the wide open blue. The dark sky turns pale, then bright. The cool night hangs on in quisps of desperate fog when the heat of the day touches it for the first time. The gloom grasps at me as I leave it behind, walking out into the morning as it arrives fully. The parting fog reveals the wagon wheel's path carved between the foot of the mountain range. Beyond that, circling in high columns, buzzards. Death ahead, death behind. All I have to do is follow. It's slower going now. It takes me the better part of the entire day to walk through the mountain pass on my own. The walls get closer and higher the deeper in I go, narrower and narrower as it twists and winds through the sharp stone. Hardly enough room for three people to walk shoulder to shoulder in some places, but always there are the deep grooves from the wheels of the stagecoach in the drying mud. I have to climb around jagged crags in the end, slipping and crawling over jutting stones as the sun arcs down in front of me again, setting over a town barely more than a few rows of buildings, with room for a few wagons to ride between them. There's no name on the water tower, no sign of welcome or warning to pass on my way in, just the wheel tracks leading right to the center of it all. I can see the stagecoach from here, sitting in the middle of the road between the saloon and the blacksmith, beneath the tall column of vultures. I use the last reserves of my strength, saved for this very moment, and run the rest of the way, stumbling occasionally on loose dirt and stones. If there is anyone living in this town, they do not show themselves to me. The harnesses are piled in a muddy heap, lines and traces in a tangle. The wheels are cracked and broken, and the purple carriage itself lay at a skewed angle, hunched sadly in the mud. The door hangs open, squeaking softly as it's jostled by a dozen buzzards squawking and fighting to get inside. Blood oozes out beneath them as they squabble. I push them aside, and they flap away angrily, hungrily. Inside the carriage is blood and mud, feathers and waste, but no bodies. Not mine or theirs. I kick at a few of the bolder birds as they try to scurry back in, searching for the same thing I am, the source of the blood. 
Matted down in the muck and feathers is a wadded-up shirt. It tears when I pull it out, caught under some wrecked piece of nothing I can't see. Nearly unrecognizable as clothing anymore, but it seems... familiar. It looks like a uniform. Some fancy city job uniform. Brass buttons and square shoulders. I can't tell if it's red or some lighter color that's soaked through with blood. I take off my gloves and drop them in the mud. The birds fly over them, still desperate for hopes of flesh. I rub a brass button with my thumb and see myself in the warped reflection. One of the vultures, large and gnarled, snatches it out of my hands and flaps his wings heavily, slowly bouncing to a horse hitch outside the saloon behind me. He squawks wretchedly and challenges me with dark, glistening eyes. The rest of the flock floods back into the stagecoach and their infighting. The old buzzard growls and murmurs at me from his perch. I approach slowly, hands low. He cocks his head, and I reach out carefully. He raises his wings nervously, warning me not to try anything funny. I shoot my hand out like a bullet and grab the tattered uniform from his beak. He squawks again and flies off, circling up high above me. The smoky laugh of a body woman drifts out to me from inside the saloon. Other voices join her too, laughing and talking excitedly over piano, striking out a jaunty tune off key. She laughs again like summer thunder. I don't notice my arm fell to my side or the tattered uniform fall to the muddy ground. I don't notice the vultures behind me crowing louder and louder in frenzy. But I do see that the saloon rents rooms by the night. And I am so very tired suddenly. I follow the laughter, her laughter, and leave what went unfound behind me. The double doors of the saloon barely wait for my touch before they swing open. It's warm and bright and lively inside. I don't see anyone, but I can hear their chattering bovahi fill the building with life. Something stops me at the threshold. The quiet of death behind me. The blood I left at the ranch. And the cold wind's promise. But when I turn around, there is no broken stagecoach bleeding into the mud. No vultures or ghost town, no path to walk. There is only the lobby. And me. The painting behind the front desk shows a drab collection of small wooden buildings in the distance, battered with rain from the storm clouds that fill the sky over a range of gray mountains. In front of the ranch is a wooden corral, its gate hanging open, empty. Thank you.
The Hotel was created and produced by Travis McMaster and Mark Witten. Starring Kelly Ninaltowski as the manager. Mark Witten as the lobby boy. Graham Rowett as the owner. And Krista Lewis. Produced by Pacific Obadiah. Music by Lauren Picorni, West Rodri, and special guest composer Zach Tatum Drake. <laughs>